Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. In today's episode, I interview Tim Ballard, who is chairman and president of Operation Underground Railroad. The conversation was challenging, emotional, all the things, because the context of the conversation is that we discuss human trafficking, child sex trafficking, slavery, all that stuff. Due to the context of the conversation, I wanted to give you a heads up that if the discussion of any of these things, as well as sexual assault, sexual violence, violence, if any of those things are triggering for you, then I encourage you to at least be conscious of your experience as you listen or skip this episode altogether. I feel really honored to have been able to have this conversation and participate in the possible solution and ending of these trades that are massive. They're so traumatic. And so without further ado, here's Tim Ballard. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Welcome. I have activist, badass, founder of, uh, I mean, I think that's a fair title, and the founder of uh, Operation Underground Railroad. Welcome, Tim Ballard. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. I uh, listened to you on J.P. Sears a, a bit ago, and I'd heard about your work previously, too, and I was so inspired by it. And also, I felt quite naive, because as someone who grew up in Canada, you don't when I was listening to you, I'm like, this stuff is happening around me. How is this stuff happening around me? Like that was a real, it was destabilizing in a good way. My naivety was rocked. And I all of a sudden was thinking, how do I learn more and participate in helping these children? Cause I would imagine the pandemic has not, um, has not helped things either. Uh, no, in fact, the, the pandemic, people don't even realize what it did. Um, you know, when, when you decide to shut down in, entire economies and, schools and after school programs there's there's unintended consequences that no one 
thought about, even though there were warning, we were warning, you know, you take for granted, I think people take for granted what safety nets uh, are built into to going to school <laughs> or right. you know, after school programs. When the initial lockdowns happened and schools were shut down everywhere, you got to remember parents were frantic. They were losing their jobs and trying to figure out how to get toilet paper or whatever. And they were told, the kids were told, sit down, here's your laptop or your smartphone and, and we got to, you know, stay home. The pedophiles are also home doing the same thing. And we've seen reports from law enforcement, the chatter of like, it's harvest time. They're sitting ducks. We got them in April of 2019 compared to March and April of 2020. It was over 2 million in excess additional reports of wow. potential child abuse cases originating online. We don't even know. We won't know. These are victims. A lot of them haven't been found yet or their cases haven't been proven yet. So we don't even know yet how, how horrific that was. But we put kids in a really, really uh, vulnerable position when we, when we did that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of criticism of all those policies based on so many things. I don't know that people think about the impact, one, on child abuse, but also child trafficking. Like, Can you give us some context of the enormous breadth and depth of this and how how much money is in it, all that kind of stuff, because it's it's mind-shattering. It is insane. It's, you know, pe people are surprised to find out it's the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the world. You know, it's even catching up to drugs. You can sell a bag of cocaine one time. You can sell a child 12 to 20 times within a 24-hour period. So it's, it's wow. very lucrative. It's very lucrative. Um, the numbers, um, it's about 28 million people in the world have been identified as slaves. The majority of that is slave labor, um, but I contend that if you're if you're if you're a labor slave, it's just a matter of time before you know you're also sexually abused. Just like you know slavery in the 19th century, that we think it was it's bad enough. The images we've seen or the the the, the historical depictions of the whippings and the you know the horrible things. I mean that was bad enough. But what we've always failed to recognize too much too many historians, it was just as much about sex slavery. Those 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 victims were being raped and sold for sex as well. Um, because that's what happens when you own somebody. You can do anything with them. So um, it's about 28 million. It's about um, three to four million of those are children. And about two million have been identified as being forced every year into sex slavery. Just children alone. So it's $150 billion a year is how much money is exchanged. And for those who can't wrap their head around that, because I can't myself. That's, that's about every year, the amount of money that's used to buy and sell people um, with that money every year. You could buy every franchise of Starbucks in the world, every NBA team, and still have enough money to send every U.S. child to college for four years. So that's the enormity of the problem. In the United States, you know, sometimes we like to think, yeah, but that's that happens in just developing countries. Not true. I, I just executive produced a, a documentary that comes out on November 4th. Um, it's, it's a one-night uh, theatrical release. You can go to it's happening right here.com. That's the name of the documentary. It's happening right here. It's all about what's happening in the United States in terms of human trafficking and, and, ch and child exploitation. The United States currently is in the top two, one, one to three for destination countries in the whole world for destination countries for human trafficking. The United States uh, almost every year is ranked the number one consumer of child rape videos so, I mean, this is a serious problem and we can pretend, you know, the mainstream media is going to pretend it's not happening. I can give you some 
ideas about why I think that is. In the meantime, our kids are just being sucked into the deepest recesses of hell. Why do you think that is? Like, I, I think of some of the least amount of, like, awareness was created through Epstein. But even then, you know, I saw a meme that said, Ghislaine Maxwell, the first person sentenced for trafficking children to nobody. To nobody. You know, like the craziness of that. Exactly. And and there's no answers. We're trying to get answers. I spent over a decade as a special agent for the U.S. government investigating. You can't convict someone unless you can confirm the, the cell of something. So they know that there is a list of people sold to confirm for the conviction. I don't know how else you convict someone for that series of a crime without that. I think one reason... The most benign reason, I, I guess, is people don't want to see it. They'd rather turn a blind eye because it's so hard, and I get that. They see a child being hurt, and they can't help but superimpose their the faces of their own children on on those kids. So that's the most benign reason. Um, unfortunately, I, I wish that's all it was, but there is um, you know more kind of disturbing things at play. A lot of it is because it got political. And I thought this was the one thing that would never get political. We're very apolitical. We want every side, we want every- Right, everyone should be fighting for it. I used to say it's the last thing on the table that transcends politics, belief systems, religion, everything. Kids shouldn't be hurt. Kids shouldn't be raped. Unfortunately, this is shocking, but it's, it's, the, it's the truth. Um, you know, once it got political, it got, it got super political. I learned about- the, the how it got political when I was on Fox News one night and just talking about human trafficking, uh, very apolitical, just explaining how it works and so forth. And by the time I got back to my hotel that night, I was filming in their DC studio. The White House had called and said, would you come brief the president on human trafficking when Trump was in office? And I would have, of course, I said, yes, I'd be honored. I would have gone just as fast with just as much energy and said the exact same thing to any administration of any party. If I get the head of, of a state asking for a briefing right. in any country, I will go. I don't care what your party is. I don't even have time to look into it, you know, if I'm going in, in foreign countries, for example. <laughs> so I show up and I brief the president and I didn't realize it was like going to be televised. I walked into the cabinet room and I'm sitting down all of a sudden <laughs> there's everywhere. It's like, what? No one told me that. I came with nothing, no briefing material. It was kind of a wow. funny, kind of shocking thing. It's like a reality show, yeah. It was. I feel like like the Truman Show or something. So <laughs> I said what I wanted to say, and I, and I left. And within like half a day, I got these calls from my financial office. And they're saying, Tim, we lost a 1,000 abolitionists. The abolitionist club is our um, – those are our recurring donors. So that's it's very important donor dollars because we can make projections with budgets because we know it's coming. It's our recurring – it's our base. And we had lost over 1,000 of our base because I showed up to the White House and talked to, to, to Trump. They said, here's the big, here's at least the big donors we lost. Will you call them and tell them what we know is true, that you would have said the same thing and gone with just as much speed and energy to any administration? And I, I refused to call any of them. I said, they have signaled something that's probably the most disturbing thing in our, in our country today, and that is that they hate one man or one party more than they love rescuing children from a life of rape. And if that's who you are, that is so grotesque to me. I don't want your money. I don't want your energy. I don't want to even know your name. You, I want nothing to do with you because I can't think of, there, there's very few things, at least politically, that are more grotesque than that. You know, you didn't leave us because you thought we weren't saving kids. You knew we were. You left us because if we save a kid and Trump helped us, You'd rather that kid not be saved. You're sick. 
you're a sick human being and I don't want you. I don't want your money. I, I don't burn their phone numbers. And that was the beginning of my wake up call. And it's just gotten worse. Like we'll get hit pieces and it's always the same. And again, I'm not, this is not me being political. I promise. It's very leftist publishing houses like uh, Vice. Complete lies, right? Everything's a lie. But they, they, they did like multiple stories on, on, on us. Lie after lie after lie. Anonymous, con- anonymous sources say something that none of us recognize. Who's, you know, we can't tell you who the source is. On and on and on and on, right? But then you see these, these publications will then come out also with, oh, by the way, um, after they kind of set up, like they, t- they try to cast doubt on human trafficking, that it even exists, right? Um, the Atlantic did a big hit piece on it, on, on the numbers, and they throw us in it because we're one of the largest anti-trafficking groups. Numbers that, that I just gave you were from the State Department, UN. Like these are, these are where we're getting our numbers. They, they conveniently leave out that it's the U.S. State Department that gave those numbers and make it sound like I gave those numbers. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, it's no, there's no way, you know, there's no way. Like here's their proof, right? It's the Atlantic, the quasi-journalist there who wrote this. Um, her proof that that there can't be hundreds of thousands of kids in the United States, let's say, who are who are being sexually exploited and trafficked, because there's only there was only twenty thousand calls that year to the national hotline. That's like saying I, I went deep sea fishing for for a day, and I only caught fifty fish. Therefore, there's no way there's hundreds of thousands of fish out here. I mean, I caught fifty. So what? Maybe there's a hundred. Or I mean, that's it. That's the that's the that's the amazing cutting edge analysis of the Atlantic, and in in the meantime, they're hurting potentially the cause here and 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 making it more difficult to find these kids. They didn't come in with this thing that I can't even believe is happening, where it's don't call them pedophiles. Have you heard this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He stigmatized pedophiles and let's call them people. What is it? Children, minor attracted persons. Yeah, that's right. And, and then you look at the sexualization of, of our kids, like what are, is in our libraries, our, our school libraries. I, I can't believe it. Like it's, it, it borders on something I might arrest somebody for providing a child with, but our teachers are providing it. It's in our libraries. It's full pornography. It's showing people having sex. And full, I mean, it's just for third graders. They're marketing it for third graders. So all these things are what pedophiles want. They want our kids sexualized and, they, they want them to be... That's sort of like educational grooming, I guess, on some level, isn't it? Exactly what it is. And they're loving it because this is what makes them interested in sex. And then they, they encourage the kids to self-pleasure. Like literally, they're t- teaching them, go find a quiet place. And while you're watching this, you can touch yourself. Well, now you're making them addicts. They're not ready for this. We, we've seen the studies of kids that age who are engaged in sexual activity, which is rape, because they're children. They're prepubescent children, right? Um, we've seen what happens, the brain damage that happens to them. I've seen the brain scans. We already know the science behind when you do this to kids. Their brains aren't ready for it, right? Imagine an adult brain that gets addicted to porn and you can see the actual changing of the brain and the shrinkage of the frontal lobes. These these kids, their brains aren't even developed yet. And it's like giving cocaine to a a five-year-old for a year and thinking there's going to be no – that kid's going to want cocaine forever because their brain is still congealing around that infusion, and so these kids' brains are, in, are, are congealing and f- developing around sex, 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 image, 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 connected to self-pleasure. And all of a sudden, you've got little sex addict robots, which is exactly what pedophiles want. So this is a long answer to why I think we're not hearing as much about human trafficking and exploitation, because there's a whole movement that actually wants to normalize it, sexualize our kids, destigmatize pedophilia as, as something 
you know, normal um, or, or at least nothing to shake your finger at. And it's just like, I've seen these guys at work. I mean, I've pulled kids out of hell that you can't imagine. How dare you say that we shouldn't stigmatize someone who wants to have sex with children, the damage that it does, but kids aren't just like in the COVID decisions. Kids aren't the ones that we listen to, right? They're, they can't march. They can't demonstrate. They can't raise a voice. They're resilient. Kids are resilient is the reason we use for everything. And now we're seeing developmental delays. We're seeing speech uh, impediments. We're seeing a lot of, which we all knew was going to happen. Anyone who just like could critically think about this. You know, I think it's interesting too, because I haven't really dove into the, like I've seen the minor attractive person stuff come up and, and looked and I'm like, that's wild to me. And I couldn't imagine seeing it through your lens because I think most people who go, well, actually, we need to have sex ed, quote unquote. Yeah, but sex ed can come when someone has is like 14, 15. You know, like we can teach relational things at a young age and then intimacy when there's the capacity to hold and understand intimacy. And so it's seeing it through your lens, you must be like, because you see how people like this think. Absolutely. It's terrifying to me. I just, we just ordered the book. I won't even show you because it's so, it's so disturbing, but the, the book that um, is in all the libraries that's written marketed for third graders and it's in the public libraries. I think I saw pictures of it on social media not long ago where there's like, yeah. And I'm just like, what? That's in third grade. I, that probably, because I didn't grow up in a time when the internet was readily available. So I was looking at like Sears magazines and, you know, like fucking National Geographic. National Geographic was all we got, man. Yeah. I I couldn't imagine having like now, you know, what is it? I think a nine or 10 year old is already consuming pornographic images. I don't know that I would have left my room, you know? So does that prime us? Like it makes us more prone because of the arousal? Absolutely it does. And, and, and it's your teachers that are telling you, this is natural. It's normal. And so these kids are going to think it's natural and normal and they're going to look for it and they're going to be addicted to it or at least really engaged in thinking about it. And that's when pedophiles can get them the best. How do teachers respond to the criticism that you have it or, or, or when you go into schools and teach, are, are they then like, oh, my God, I can't believe we have this stuff? Like, how is the response to it? They, they're mostly they mostly defend it. You know, there's there's some teachers okay, there's, there's some teachers where, you know, they're, they're, they won't teach it. Right. And they, they come out, not all of them have gone that way. It's mostly teachers unions and some like certain school districts that have approved this. And they have all these experts, you know, in sex education, which I don't care if you have what letters you have behind your name, that doesn't tell me much about, I'm, I don't just trust you. Okay. I've known, I've known too many people with letters after their name, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they're just like, this is healthy and this is natural. And this is, this is going to help them. Um, what they're using right now, this is this is the main argument that I hear. Like these books talk about like all sorts of like anal sex stuff and fisting and teaching kids this. In a book for grade three? Yes, three, four, five, fifth grade. And 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 what I'm reading, their justifications for it is, oh, we can't have any bullying of gay people. And that's gen- those some of those, you know, sexual techniques sometimes are connected to to to, to gay people. If we normalize what would be considered gay sex, then they won't bully people. Well then, but then I keep researching and find out all these studies have come out to show kids don't, that's kids don't care. Yes. In the nineties, eighties was horrifying. People were doing horrible things in schools and other places to, to people who were gay. 
And, and that is horrible, horrible, horrible. And, you know, I would stand by any gay person with, they should have every right, you know, that, that everyone else has. And that wasn't happening in the 90s and the 80s and so forth. But these studies have shown that kids today don't care. It's not an issue. We're, we're past that. They all have gay friends. They're cool with it. It's just, it's like today, like we, it's not a thing, right? And so as they dig deeper and these researchers have gone into it, who, who are the bullies? Well, the bullies are going to ultimately are, they get the kids into a frame of mind of there's bullies out there. So you have to do this and you have to be sexualized and you have to do that. Da, da, da. And then when mom and dad finally catch on what's going on, say, whoa, I don't want my kids seeing that kind of material or being taught about sexual preferences and, 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 and gender diversity or whatever. That's for me to decide, you know, with, with my spouse, whatever, when to teach this. Boom. You, you, you kids want to know about the bullies? It's mom and dad. They are the bullies. And that's what they're doing. They are saying, educators, I've seen them. They're coming public about it. We are enlightened where parents are not. They can do a lot with our kids in public schools. They have a lot of authority. You know, they, they can In California, for example, they're able to put your kids on hormone blockers without telling the parents. I mean, can you believe that? If your 12-year-old daughter can decide that feel like she, you know, is in the wrong body and then the school nurse can say, well, I'll, I'll put you on hormone blockers and we don't have to tell your mom. Like th this is happening. This is happening. I saw that about therapists. I, I want to say in Oregon where it's illegal and they can have their license taken. I might have the state wrong, but I know it exists for participating in a dialogue with a student who's, who is questioning their gender. So if you participate if you question it with them go through that exploration you can lose your license and i thought wow that's that's crazy it's 28 states right now that's crazy to me because it removes the space that's safe to have this dialogue you know to have this conversation where you know i have no judgment about whether a teenager decides that they're a certain gender but they should be allowed to explore that with a mental health professional to at least dig into it where does it come from right before they start cutting off their private parts right like, let's just, let's have a conversation, put it in a different context. And you can see how crazy it is. What if, um, what if a 12 year old, 13 year old girl goes into her therapist and she is all of, she's got anorexia, let's say, and she's all of 70 pounds. And she says, I'm fat. I'm fat. I identify as a fat person. Can you imagine if they, well, I, I can't question you because you've, you've self-identified. So let's get you on liposuction and let's put you on a diet. Are you, you laugh at that. It's the same thing. And these therapists are going crazy because I've, I've talked to some of them. They're like, I'm trained to find out what the problem is. It might be something else and it's manifesting in this way. That's what we do. In the end, they might be right. In the end, they might all conclude, okay, this is, you, you are experiencing something that people call gender dysphoria or diversity. They can't even try it because they, they liken it to conversion therapy, which is, which is sick and wrong, which is I'm going to convert you out of being gay, right? That's, that's, and so they say just by questioning a 13-year-old and saying, you know, let's talk about everything that might be making you feel like you're in the wrong body. Nope. Conversion therapy, lose your license. 28 states. I believe it's 28 right now and growing. I think about, you know, I have transgender friends that I just want them to feel as loved and capable as anyone else in the world. And I think about that conversation as at a young age that you'd want to be able to explore something to find what's right for you, you know, and to remove that dialogue doesn't feel, it, it's interesting that any criticism of this conversation or any criticism of the format of which we're doing things or criticism or even questioning whether someone is uh, approaching it from a sort of holistic perspective is seen as anti 
And that to me, but that's true of kind of every sensitive movement right now, that as soon as you question something, you're seen as anti that thing. So there's no space for dialogue. And I'm, and for me, I don't, adults could do what you want. I love you just the same. I don't care. I'm very libertarian in my, if you want to transition and you're, and you can make that decision as an adult, but children, I mean, I've got nine kids. Okay. They can't make decisions at 12, 13, 14 on almost anything. Like some of the ideas my kids come to me with are like, what? No, you can't do that. Why on earth am I going to let them to make a decision at that age when their brains scientifically proven not to be all there? Anyone that has teenage kids knows what I'm talking about. And you're going to, you're in a position to make a decision that's going to potentially cause irreparable damage to your body, to your reproduction capabilities. I'm not going to, no, 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 you're not, you can't do that. We have to have a, this is why parents, this is why kids are born into families with parents, right? And, and the parents are being removed. And, and that's the movement is to remove parents. They are, they, are the, they are the enemy. We're seeing that coming out now. Man, that's a, it puts a wedge between parents and children. But also to say that we know best is one of those challenging things of all government, of all <laughs> educational systems. As soon as that's the idea, then it's like we're doing good. And so it's framed in this idea of altruism. And so it's not even up for discussion because if you want to discuss it, then you're just not doing good. And I don't, man, I feel like there's a backlash coming to this. Like it seems like it's occurred. Comedians are now, you know, comedians are sort of at least a, a good barometer of of like starting to look at the things that we look at. And I'm not saying all comedy is exactly all great, but what they do is they start to point at things that are ridiculous in the world. Right. And it's interesting to see what they're like, they're trying to get them canceled. Like what, what's... Uh... Dave Chappelle, right? <laughs> Bill Burr, Ricky Gervais, you know, but they're uncancelable, which is actually, you know, in a way it's necessary because even dialogues on any extreme, they at least broaden the space to have a bridge, you know, to build a bridge. And when you consider, because it's, I've never thought about the perception of sex ed through the lens, your lens. And so when you consider how grooming happens and how trafficking happens. I think we often think of trafficking being like, you know, I, I heard you give the example of J.P. Sears. I think it's a great example that like, it's like the movie Taken. Can you maybe educate us on where does it actually happen? What is the most common way? Sure. So human trafficking is a business and, you know, there's human trafficking and also child exploitation. Trafficking implies there's legally, there's money that's being exchanged here. Exploit, sex, sexual exploitation can just be, you know, some pedophile who wants to, you know, engage in sex with, with children. In both cases, they have a lot to lose, whether it's money or reputation. Um, and so the, the, the idea that the white van comes and, and rips you off the street or in the case of Taken, right, they go into this nice house and this affluent family is having their daughter ripped from under the bed. Um, that's a bad business decision. I hate to even refer to these people as business people, but they are. I mean, they're evil as well, get up, but they're, they're trying to do something here. Um, they're trying to make money, right? They're trying to be successful. It's not a successful move to, to pull the white van up and rip a kid out of the house because you're going to get a response like Taken shows you. You're going to kick up dust and Liam Neeson's going to come tracking you down, right? Or, you know, in, in reality, law enforcement, parent, or maybe, maybe who you are, maybe me. When you think of it in that term, what's the best way to get people? You lure them. Lure is the, is the number one tactic, Right. So they'll go, like, let's say over, like, in, we see this in Central America. They'll, they'll go into the highlands, the very impoverished areas in, say, Guatemala. 
and promise a job and promise this 13, 14 year old girl that she's going to be a nanny and give a hundred bucks to the parents and say, we're going to send this much to you every weekend. And here's a cell phone. Blah, blah. And they, they, Oh my gosh, go sweetie. We'll, we'll talk to you. They're gone. They move them into Columbia and there's no recourse. There's no one to talk to. There's no one that's going to come looking for them. That's how trafficking is going to happen. Or often the lure happens online. Like in the U S you'll see this a lot where it's people grooming kids online. Um, like I'll give you a real case that I was, I was an undercover operator pretending to be a 13 year old boy in a chat room back in the day when, you know, chat rooms were a bigger thing. And this uh, monk, a U.S. citizen, but a monk living in Mexico city. And he was online trying to find little boys to lure them into his monastery. And I watched him, how he would do it. And it's how they all, they work, right? He starts talking about God and then he's giving me, he's giving me sermons basically on on the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve and their bodies and the beautiful creation. And then gets real specific about bodies, the genitalia. And then all of a sudden how babies are made. Then all of a sudden, you know, how after weeks and weeks, how the greatest form of worship is to orgasm in the name of God. I'm not kidding. He's talking this, he thinks he's talking to a 13 year old kid. And then who else to, to show you how to do this, but me. So why don't you come on down to my monastery and who's your, who takes care of you? Oh, my grandma sends a letter to, to the P.O. box. It's our undercover P.O. box. And it's, hey, we'd like to invite little Denny down to, um, to Mexico. He'll, we're going to go see a, some cultural things, a museum, blah, 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 and give him a religious education with, with, the, with, the, with the letterhead of the monastery. Monastery, yeah. And, and so we did. We showed up. We showed up. Um, he came to pick the kid up. Obviously, it was just me and some Mexican cops there. And That didn't go as, yeah. No, it didn't go as he planned. He was arrested and deported that day. But this is how they operate. It's, it's the lure, which is why parents, like you indicated, like I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like I didn't grow up with the internet. So my kids potentially are disadvantaged because I can help them in every area, right? I can teach them how to fight bullies on the playground. I can teach them how to heal a broken heart when the girl dumps you, whatever. I've been there, but I haven't been there as a teenager with, with new hormones and new feelings and, and porn. Right. I have no concept. I just know I would like it. That's all I know. Yeah, you know you would have been all over it, and I, we, we, we would have been clicking all over, right? Like two clicks. Like right. I couldn't find that stuff if I wanted to. I, I, you know. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. So now is it done through social media? It's done through all these different platforms? You name the platform and it's happening. There's, pred- there's predators everywhere. They're using false identities. They're pretending to be the, the, you know, the 15-year-old quarterback in the county over and some good looking kid. Right. And the girls are like, Oh, can I be your friend? And Hey, want to meet, want to meet at the mall. And they just slowly lure them out. They get them to the right place or they pretend to be, I've seen this, they pretend to be um, like modeling scouts or photographers. And they invite these 14 year old girls to their studio, you know, come on down, you know, don't bring your parents, you know, just come by, come by and we'll take some shots. And then boom, they got, they, they got them. Or there's also the Romeo one, right. Where they, Actually, and this one's even more scary in some ways because every bit as much as trafficking as anything else. But like you see this happening in any kind of even a stable homes with a mom and dad, right? Where the 14 year old girl, 15 year old girl gets her boyfriend, decides to have sex. They make a sex video. Um, and of course, like 90, 90, 99% chance they're going to be broken up in a few months, which they are. But now boyfriend's got the the video and he says with his undeveloped brain, hey, you know, if you don't keep servicing me and my friends, or if you don't do X, Y, and Z, I got your whole church congregation email list. I got your grandma's email. I, and this video is going everywhere. 
that makes someone, that makes a teenage girl kill herself. That's how devastating that is. And I've been in those cases. I've talked to these kids and tried to get them off it. And so they will do whatever. And it's trafficking. I mean, it's full on trafficking. I mean, they don't own their mind at that point. They are being controlled by their ex-boyfriend who's forcing them into sex acts. So that, that's, we call that Romeo trafficking. All, all these things, by the way, are in our new documentary. It's happening right here. Um, so people, we want everyone to go, to go see this and they'll learn all these tactics that are being used, especially here domestically, how, how it's done. It's true overseas. You'll see different things. You'll see kids being sold on the beaches and on the street corners. Um, so that is more prevalent in more developing countries where law enforcement doesn't have the, the resources that we have here in the U S so they have to be a little more crafty here, a little clever and cunning and they are, and they use social media to, to trick our kids. What's the greatest challenge in combating it? Is it education? Is it? It's absolutely education. You know, we've had to go into countries where we had to convince them, their law enforcement, that this was happening. Like they, they didn't believe it. We had to prove it to them. It's, it, we don't see as much of that. We convince them and then they're on, then we're kicking butt together. But then they can't get like, when the budget comes in, they can't get like the resources. This happens in the U.S. too. And the reason is because the county commissioners or whoever's making those decisions, they haven't been converted to the idea that this is real and very, very serious. Um, and so really the, the number one problem is getting people, it's the storytellers. It's, it's, it's you, Mark. It's you letting me come on and talk about it. Um, because, and you know, there's a historical precedent for this, right? Look at slavery in the 19th century. I love history. I go back to history all the time to try to learn what we can. It's, it's, it's different forms of slavery. So you don't want to cannibalize history here because they, they deserve their place, you know, to be independent and be understood that way. However, there, there are things to learn. Like, was it the Underground Railroad, my heroes of the 19th century, who ended it? No, they, they did what they could, just like we're doing what we can. But it, it amounts, statistically, it amounts to a drop in the bucket. Worth it. Every soul is worth it. But statistically, it, we've rescued 6,000, but there's millions. <laughs> so, you know, if I look at just the numbers, I might get depressed. But I look at the individuals and I would do it all for just one. So, however, what, so what ended it in the 19th century? It wasn't Abraham Lincoln as much as I, I love him. He did the right thing in the, when the opportunity arose, but it was the storytellers. For some reason in the 19th century, the, the Frederick Douglasses and the Harriet Tubmans and the Harriet Beecher Stowe's and this, this great, amazing group of enlightened souls got together and started putting out books and tracks and speaking, and it went viral. It, it literally in, in, you know, like in, in like 1852, like 10 years before the Civil War, it got viral. Like, what is happening? You got to be kidding me. This is going on. Even Lincoln, when he met Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, that was the book that went more viral than, than any other at the time. He said to her, so you're the lady that wrote the book that started this war. Even he recognized that it was the voices of the people who got too loud that he had to act Lincoln in a way he wasn't planning on acting and ending slavery. So we're trying to replicate that. The louder we can get... We can't trust them. The mainstream media is not going there. They're not going to do it. But it's, it's, it's the other more powerful media, frankly, uh, you know, like, like what we're doing right now, that people are going to listen. They're going to get loud. And when they get loud enough, you will see systemic changes, cultural changes, governmental changes, where, we, the, where more resources will be, will be given to end this problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's like five to one drug agents in the U.S. to, to agents fighting uh, child exploitation and trafficking. It's crazy. Like it should be switched totally, but we're just not, we haven't created enough charge yet. We haven't created enough noise and that's what we're trying to do. Do you find that there's 
resistance just from, because you said that a lot of the time people don't want to learn about it or know about it because they might imagine their own child going through that. So there's a dissonance. There's like a fear of looking at the thing because to look at the thing is too painful. Do you find that's one of the most obstructive parts is people don't want to know the truth because the truth is too disruptive and it might create responsibility. And I don't mean that, that it's malicious. It's not malicious, but the you know how humans are. We don't want a no, we don't want to know a truth that we then have to confront. But if you don't know this, then you're not you're not actually living with all the possible knowledge you could have to prevent things from happening. I would still put that at the number one um, obstacle to to getting the the response we need is that very thing. I've literally had donors like very wealthy guys, and they're just and to their credit, they're honest. And I was like Tim, I don't want to know because then if I learn that it's true then I'm going to feel guilty if I don't give you like half my fortune. And they'll literally walk away from me after saying that. <laughs> like, okay, at least you're being honest. But it, it is not malicious. It's, it's, it truly isn't. I don't get upset because I went through it. I didn't ask to be in that, in fighting the child crimes unit when I was in, in the government. I was asked to be in it. And I said no at first for that same reason. I mean, I was absolutely dead against, like I cannot watch children being raped in videos and then go home to my family. And my wife and I were just like, no, the answer is no, we're not going to do it. There's my wife who had a change of mind that night. She didn't sleep that night when I told her the day before that they'd asked me to do this. And she said, we have to, we have, we have to, we have to do it. If it's true that kids are being hurt, like we can't be selfish. And she, she had the right mentality, which everybody frankly needs to have. You, you have to shed some innocence. You have to, you have to experience some pain if you're going to get, and even if you just watch a documentary or even have a conversation like we're having right now, or any of your community that's listening to this, they're shedding innocence and feeling pain right now. And it's just, there's no other way around it. You have to be willing to do that if you want to engage this in this fight. In the creation of the documentary, what were some of the challenges in terms of, like, was there a challenge getting donors to fund it? Was there any challenges like that? No, we we didn't fund it. It was funded through um, DNA Films. I'm not sure how they how they did that. That's great that they wanted to, though. You know, like a documentary is such a great way to do it. It's the best way. Um, yeah. D- DNA Films, uh, they're the ones that did our very first documentary. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Operation Two Saint. Um, so after we saw their work there, we were just like, hey, keep doing they have They've done two other documentaries with us. Um, and then and this this one is happening right here. There is enough people. I mean, we're, we're very well funded. I'm, I'm surprised at how much money we're able to raise. Um, so there are enough people who are pissed enough and they stand up and they, and they fight and they engage. Um, but we just, we just need a lot more to, to do it. What's the number one thing we can do as individuals to participate in this movement to help protect children? I think the number one thing is, is talk, 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 share, share the link to the next, the documentaries, share, you know, the stats. Cause the more we talk about it, then that's when people are going to rise up and, there's lots of ways. I, I tell people, we're just one option. Oh, you are. There's many organizations that are doing amazing work. Or, you know, maybe you want to make your own film or maybe you want to get involved in the, the politics of it and, you know, get, get better laws on the books, you know, get more resources to law enforcement as to where we don't have a five to one disparity between drug enforcement and child crimes enforcement. It's just so ass backwards. But it's just people don't know. They don't know what to be outraged at. The good news is they want to be outraged. We know that because the media is giving them, it's usually fake outrage. It's, you know, the headlines hardly ever match the stories these days because that's not, the point is just to get the dopamine hit because people want to be pissed. 
They want to feel that like, ah, oh, I hate Trump or I hate Biden. It just, it just must feel good or something. And I'm just like, guys, I'll give you something that's like the headline will match the story and it has to do with kids. Let's get pissed together on this one, you know? Um, and I think we can do that by if everyone opened their mouths or, you know, sent emails, sent links, sent, you know, talked about it. And when we look around our lives, you know, I think one of the maybe conversations that has happened more recently is the consideration or thought that child trafficking is actually quite common in wealthy, like in the wealthy or in the in the child trafficking rings in Canada, the U.S., maybe more developed parts of Europe. Is it really happening in, or is it just happening everywhere? Like, is there not like a specific sort of group? Is it just happening everywhere? It is absolutely everywhere. I mean, it has a different it has different faces in, in different places, you know, for sure. Uh, you're going to see more. That's why we had, we had, that's why we dedicated a whole documentary just to domestic. And it really applies to any developed Western country or any developed country. It's how these guys have to go about it in that field. Because the, the other, the hard kidnappings do happen, but it's mostly in, you know, it's, it's mostly in develop in, in, in very developing countries. Um, but yeah, that's what we have to convince people of. Like, look, I don't care how fluent you are. It's, it's these girls in gated communities who are getting victimized by the Romeo traffickers. Or, I mean, again, we, we're going to, sh- we show real examples, frightening examples in, in the documentary. In the doc. Wow. And these kids, these kids live in good homes, good families, stable families. Generally, if you're going to come in and, and these predators know to go to a very unstable situation where usually it's one, only one parent around or, and that parent's usually off on drugs or something. They know to, to, to target that. And so people think, well, that's not my situation, so my kids are fine. No, don't, don't get complacent because these, these sexual predators are everywhere. What, what porn has done, we talked about porn, it's so present that it's created a lot of sex addictions, right? There's, there's people that get addicted to porn, and the brain reacts to that addiction in the same way that a, a drug addict can, is, is brain reacts. It's, it's, the, it's the chemical reaction they want, right? So the more you have of that, the demand for sex of any of every kind goes up. And what studies have shown is these porn addicts, you know, they get into it for so long that they're not getting the reaction they want anymore because their their brains are are literally like immune to adult porn, just like your brain gets immune to marijuana and you don't get the hit you, you used to get, right? And so you have to level up to something to shock the system. And that's what they're doing. And they're going into kids, you know, they're going into child uh, imagery because and I've, I've interviewed dozens of these guys. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm the last guy I w- ever would have thought was going to look at 13-year-olds having sex or, you know, being being raped by a 50-year-old. But, the, the you know, the playboy wasn't doing it for me anymore. And then the, and then the, the regular adult porn wasn't doing it. They t- I hear the story over and over again. And so that's what's creating this demand is the increase, the, just the pornification of the world. Right, is just creating this this demand. Well, we definitely have pornified the world. We don't stand a chance, our brains, to that, you know, to pornography. You think of like when when we lived in tribes, you might, you know, let's say on the depending on the size of the tribe, you might you might only have sex with a certain number of people in your whole life. You might only be exposed just based on numbers to a certain number of boobs or ding dongs or whatever the thing is. But you know, it's like you could watch one pornography movie and be exposed to more sexuality and more, I mean, to a young brain, to any brain, that's just like, you might as well be mainlining gummy bears, you know, like the same level of sugar, the same level of. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. The brain wasn't ever made for that. 
I think I think I just heard Jordan Peterson say say this. It's like <laughs> in one sitting, you're going to see more naked bodies than any of your ancestors saw in a lifetime, in one hour. And your brain is going to go crazy, and it, it does crazy things. We we can we've there's studies on it, right? What the brain, what the brain does. Um, if you're so overstimulated, stimulated with, with with sex and self, you know, self pleasure and all this, there's studies that show that you're less likely to. This is crazy. Sex in schools, like school age kids, down. You think it's up? It's down, and it's actually an unhealthy indicator because. They're, and people aren't getting married anymore. They're not. Sex rates are down because they're getting their fill with with the porn. That's what they want. That's so true because you think of I can't. I think it's in Japan, but in countries where young people are stimulated by these things, they're not engaging in sexual activity. I think I think it was from a study from Harvard where they looked at it and they saw that kids these days, like teenagers, are and and young adults are having less one night stands, but we would assume that they're having way more. Like, I think everyone goes, well, Tinder has totally changed it. Everyone's just banging. And I'm sure there is easier access, obviously, to sexual connection, but it shows you, you're right, that you become deconditioned. And are you ever going to get the same stimulus that you get from a porn from when you didn't have pornography, you were like so excited about this experience. But now you're like, ah, I could go watch that film and it'd be way more. Exactly. Why put up with the aggravation? You know, remember how freaked out we were to ask a girl out homecoming? Yeah, to talk to her dad. That's a lot of stress. And you're like, but we were willing to do it because we were sex deprived. <laughs> the God-given sexual drive in me is helping me conquer my fear of talking to the girl and, you know, even asking you know, my wife, my, my fiance's, you know, father for permission to marry all that. Yeah. Kids, they're like, I don't want it. That's too much stress. And I, I, I can, I can get, I can just rub one off over here and go to sleep and get to watch everything that I could imagine I would watch on my honeymoon. And that's where they get stuck. There's a reason. I mean, this is the first time ever. We're like a negative population. We're like negative every, every country. And, and it's a problem. It's, it's a serious problem. And our average lifespan is down. You know, I would have formally thought before we had this conversation that the answer to deal with child trafficking was to, you know, have organizations like yours take down those networks. But now you're, you know, based on what you're saying, it sounds to me like what we really need to confront is the pornographication of our whole world. And even how people can monetize the pornographication of themselves. Not that that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging that, but the easy access to doing that because that's where children can get exploited too. Oh, absolutely. The, what's that called? OnlyFans and stuff like that. Right. Where these girls are making thousands of dollars a week. Kids. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like really great people who want to do that. But when there's children doing that. It's just the children factor. That's all I care about too. Yeah. It's educating. There, there's a great organization called fight the new drug fight the new drug.org where they just focus on the science of what hap of what porn does to the brain and how it can create brain damage and how it can get you to a point where you, you, the only chemical reaction you're going to get is if you go actually start abusing a kid or that's how you address the demand but it's the hardest challenge because everyone's against you every entertainment platform i mean they do not want you going there and i'm i'm very again i'm libertarian in my Viewpoints. I don't think even constitutionally or anything else can go tell someone to shut down your adult in entertainment industry. But what I can do and we will do is educate families, educate 
kids, teenagers, on what porn use can do to your brain. That's fair. And that's what we that's how we do it. Just educate them with the truth so they see it as potentially as the drug that it might be on their brain. Not not everybody reacts that way, right? You people can drink fine and never a problem. Others become alcoholics. It's the same with this porn stuff, right? The vast majority of porn users, which is ninety-eight percent of the male population or something, the vast majority aren't gonna get to that point of whatever. But even the small fraction that do is the thing that's responsible for a demand of 2 million children being forced into the commercial sex trade every year. So it's it's a big enough problem that we need to educate with the truth. I mean, this has been enlightening beyond measure. I had no idea the significance, the dollar amount, like 150 billion, you said, like that's per year. That's per year. That's human trafficking, including labor, sex, and organ harvesting. Holy shit. You mentioned the documentary you said people can grab that. Where? What is the domain name again? We'll put it in the show notes. It's a Fathom event. We're Fathom Company. It's the one night event. It's in hundreds of theaters one night, November 3rd. And people can purchase their tickets at itshappeningrighthere.com. Okay, perfect. So they can also get the documentary there as well after it's done the one night? Yeah, after after the one night, then we'll have it streaming and then people can get it. Perfect. And where can people go find more information about Operation Underground Railroad and more about you? So OURrescue.org is our website. At OURrescue is our handle everywhere else. And you know, we have a lot. We have, we just came, we're, we're on November 4th, we're releasing a new training program to train first responders, caregivers, parents on, on the signs of trafficking exploitation to help, to help be on the, you know, because that... Ultimately, it's that's who's on the front lines, right? It's it's teachers, it's at least the ones who aren't sexualizing our kids, and parents and others who can uh, see the signs and, and and fight against it. Perfect. Okay, we'll make sure we put those all in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and for your passion and for your mission, because clearly you said yes to that mission working with the child crimes unit, and that lit a fire in you that you can tell is uh, has only gotten bigger. So I appreciate you directing that. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I'll be doing this my whole life in some form for sure. Well, we're grateful for you doing it and for you coming on and sharing with us uh, education and understanding so we have more awareness and, and can participate and, and maybe take a little bit of the workload off of you by stopping it at the start. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.